Good morning and welcome to Witchery, our podcast and dark variety show. My name is Kara Witcher and I'm coming to you from my kitchen, which is located in our home, nestled deep in the hills of the Ozarks. Well, my lovelies, I hope your weekend weather is far better than ours. It's like October here. It's cool, rainy, incredibly wet. Oh, well, such is life. That's how it is. Weather is chaos. No sense in whining and pissing and moaning about it. We're trying to control it, as so many do. Seems to make things worse, don't you think? Seems to prod the beast a bit. Chaos is a beast, and if you try to prod it or try to control it, you tend to make it mad and it lashes back. I think we're experiencing some of that now. Chaos is reminding us truly what it is. So my lovelies, I come to you on this wet, rainy October, May morning to tell you the story of my father's murder. My father was killed on April 15th, 1986. He was in his late 40s. Uh, he died in St. John's Emergency Room in Springfield, Missouri, at the hands of a man by the name of Dr. Glenn Turner. Now, if you look up Dr. Glenn Turner, you will see a glowing uh, obituary, not mentioning the people that he killed. Now, these were all labeled as wrongful deaths, um, and my father was not his only victim. Um, and when I tell you what happened, you will understand why I refer to this as murder. Um, so there are many murders, many, many murders that are labeled as, uh, wrongful deaths. And that is because a prosecutor feels like there isn't enough evidence there to truly establish intent and get a conviction. So this crime would be better served with a wrongful death because then in wrongful death, you can get into the civil courts and civil suits and uh, punishment and expedience can be brought that way. Um, so there you go. Uh, such is the case with my father. Now, I'm, I'm going to get right into it. I'm not going to blabber on and on. Um, simply no sense in it. Um, my father was a very good man. Uh, he was a recovering alcoholic. I am a recovering alcoholic. I am my father's daughter. Um, he got sober in the late 1960s, about 10 years before my birth. I was born in 1978. Uh, and he served every damn alcoholic that he possibly could. And I don't mean served alcohol. He served them by helping them get sober and stay sober. He saved many, many lives, many, many families. He was a good man. Now, I bring up his alcoholism because as ridiculous as it sounds, 
and despite his extensive sobriety, uh, uh, that would, they did try to use that against him. Uh, Dr. Lin's lawyers. April 15th, 1986, tax day. My father always had a habit of, he would have the taxes ready, but he would, he was one of those who went and stood in the line, the midnight line, to, and as long as you were in that line, it didn't matter. He would get them in as late as possible. It was his little uh, tea party moment in his mind. Um, But that day, for some reason, he didn't want to do it that way. And he, when my mom and sister went to town, he asked them to drop the return in, uh, at the post office. Our family had been going through some issues up until that time. And I think my father had been feeling the weight of it. Uh, my sister was uh, dating an absolute scumbag. And that was uh, really consuming my father with fear. Um, And rightfully so. His fear turned out to be justified. I'm just glad he wasn't here to see it. Uh, Anyways, so um, he was feeling a lot of weight. Um, we had a birthday party for my, uh, oldest sister's fiancé. Now, my oldest sister's fiancé, my dad really liked, um, he was more afraid that my sister Debbie was going to run him off, because Debbie was always slightly crazy and a bit hard to handle, um, but, uh, you know, we had this birthday party. And then that night, we all went to bed, and uh, Dad woke up. He couldn't breathe. It was the scariest time of my... Uh, it was the scariest time of my life. Uh-oh. Okay, come on. So, call the ambulance. Um, call the ambulance. Uh, they got there. I, Dad was having a heart attack. But they got the uh, oxygen on him and everything else. And he was stable. When he left that house, he was breathing with oxygen. He was stable. Uh, the event was over. Uh, it was just a matter of getting him to the hospital and getting him the care that he needed. For God's sakes, it was as simple as that. It just had to be that. But no, when he got to the hospital, 
a man who my mother trusted and my mother, my, my father trusted. Dr. Gwen Turner, cardiologist, well-respected man. My mother requested him. He came in. He was there at the hospital for some reason. For some reason, he started spending all of his time at the hospital. Mom requested him. Dad requested him. The bastard gave my father an overdose of Valium, stripped him of his oxygen, and held him down as he... as he struggled to get free. Two of the floor doctors burst in, pulling Dr. Turner off. I tried to save my father, but by that time, it was too late. They weren't sure, the doctors, the two doctors there, I, I won't name them, they were not sure, I mean everything was such a panic, they were not entirely sure what they had seen. Dr. Turner claimed that my father had had a freak out, had started panicking when he was in there talking to him. Now, for some reason, Dr. Turner dismissed the nurse, had her leave the room when he went in there with my father. Uh, it wasn't for some reason. He intended to do this. When it was discovered he that it was Valium that he had given my dad, um, he claimed to have done it to calm my father down. He explained his actions as my father was just absolutely panicking and, and making things worse. Uh, in the following weeks, Dr. Turner had a psychiatric patient he had been treating for cardiovascular problems, and he gave him an overdose of a medication which caused the patient to bleed out. You heard that right. In 1986, both families brought my family and this family. The prosecutor would not bring charges against Dr. Turner. There wasn't enough there to prove intent. So it was a wrongful death suit for all of us. The other victim's families fought hard. They got Dr. Turner agoriously dismissed. Uh, basically discharged from the hospital without honor. He wasn't going to get a bunch of accolades or a ticker tape parade. Um, I 
finally, after 12 years of fighting back and forth and him trying to say, trying to prove the validity of, well, you know, my father's life didn't have value because he had been a recovering alcoholic and the other victim's life didn't have value because he was a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, after 12 years of that, finally in a deposition, he had, uh, basically what equates to immunity from the prosecutor. Everybody was there. The deposition came. He was finally tired, uh, tired of fighting and going back and forth. So he decided to tell what happened. And he did. You see, my father's life simply had no value to him. He was so sick of seeing all these lives, worthless lives around him, or he viewed as worthless. Um, and that was part of the reason why he had been wandering around the hospital. He was deciding on who should live and who should die and exactly what he could do about it. He was in full Christ complex, which is common for doctors, especially of his prestige. He was a cruel son of a bitch who tortured, mentally tortured his son to the point that his son walked out in the front yard and screamed, this is all for you, dad, and boom, blew his own head off. That man went to work. He was already dressed for work. He left and let his wife deal with the aftermath. The police had to come and speak to him at the hospital. That's right. Unfortunately, folks, as odd as my father's story sounds, it is not uncommon. And that is a very sad fact. And that is not just in America. It's worldwide. If you don't believe me, listen to a podcast called Medical Murders. In 1968, my father was shot five times by crooks, five times in the back, as he held his partner who was bleeding out from a neck wound. They were ambushed when stopping at a truck stop for coffee during their nightly rounds. He survived that. He survived that to sober up, serve his community, and have another child. Who loved him emphatically. He was my party. I was his little buddy.
Sorry, guys, but this is what true crime sounds like. It's not um, cute stories told by funny people. It's not something to enthrall you. It's real life. It hurts. It hurts like fucking hell. It hurts to know that your loved one died afraid and helpless at the hands of somebody who thought they were better. Somebody who decided that your loved one didn't need to live anymore. It hurts. And it stays with you. I don't know how else to describe it. You just learn how to live with it. You try to take what that person, that evil, you try to make it good. It's the only thing you can do. So after Turner admitted what he did, he, there was a payout, a settlement. Didn't make a damn bit of difference. The son of a bitch lived in 2016. But he lived ostracized by the community. Ostracized by his children. His children couldn't make it here in Missouri, so they had to leave. Some generations are starting to come back. One bad apple don't ruin the whole bunch, though. I don't blame his children, and I don't blame the generations. But I hope that they hear this story. I hope that whatever evil consumed this man, that they learn what happened to him, and they learn from it. I hope that they... Find peace. I hope they find something transformative. I'm sure you are expecting something very uh, profound. I will do more episodes to get into more details. <laughs> right now I've got a mess of dogs waiting on me to get them out. And I've got a elusive Mr. Witcher to go wake up. <laughs> One thing I want to say, if you're dealing with an issue with a child and you have other children, don't let the issue with the one child consume you to the point that you forget your other children. 
Look at that. My father felt so terrified for my sister Marie that I think that's part of what caused his heart attack. If he hadn't gotten himself in such a worried state, he wouldn't have been in that damn emergency room in the first place. Forgive yourselves. Nobody is a fucking perfect parent. God, we worry about our kids to the point that it makes you sick. Physically sick. Physically. <sighs> Sorry about the coffee maker, guys. <laughs> like I said, it's morning. <sighs> I'm sorry for the pauses. This was uh, emotionally taxing. I will probably do another episode on this, maybe something more polished. But for right now, this is just a... Um, it's my first go at it. This is a really, really hard one for me, my lovelies. Um, this was a part of my soul. So, um, be informed if you ever end up in a situation like this where a medical professional has hurt you, uh, do not talk to anybody and call a lawyer. Treat it like a car wreck. Do not talk to anybody from the hospital. Do not talk to any representatives. You need to call a lawyer. You need representation. And fortunately, unfortunately, uh, the necessity for such lawyers is abound, and they are plentiful, and you can find one easily. Do it. Do it. If you feel that you have been a victim of malpractice, or if you feel that you are in a situation where a medical professional is being vindictive, and that does happen, you would you would be astounded how many times uh you will deal with a vindictive uh, medical person. You have to understand that the medical professional is a bureaucracy. It became a bureaucracy in the 90s, uh, and it, it, it's done nothing but gotten bigger. And bureaucracies create bitterness. They create bitter employees who will take it out on you. That's just the gist of it, folks. Uh, know your rights. Do not let them walk all over you. Too many people go into the medical system without knowing their rights. Do it. Know your rights. And if anything happens, please immediately get help. Okay. Um, they want to protect the reputation of their doctors, of their hospitals. They want to protect their prestige. You be a fucking stick in the mud. Don't just be there. Be... Be in their face, get the word out of what happened, and inform other people. Don't worry about reputations. Well, guys, that's it. 
there are a lot of things that happened after my father's death. Um, a lot of things with his case um, I won't get into right now. Um, a lot of darkness. I will say that uh, my mother-in-law, or my mother's uh, lack of pursuit... And I won't, I won't get into the details of that, but my mother-in-law's, or I keep saying my mother-in-law, my mother's lack of pursuit, uh, really, um, it, it got my, his, my dad's sisters to hire a private investigator and they, he came up with some really horrifying facts about Dr. Glenn Turner, um, Things that he did in other states at other hospitals where he was ejected from and apparently was the reason because he would travel around. So Dr. Dr. Glenn Turner, cardiologist, he would travel around to other medical hospitals. Well, for some reason that had stopped happening and, and people assumed it was just because he was getting older and didn't want to travel as much. Well, the truth was he was kicked out of a lot of medical hospitals a lot of medical experimental hospitals where they do experimental surgeries and they teach uh, surgeries, uh, teaching hospitals and whatnot. He was kicked out. That was the truth. That was the truth that nobody knew. And um, my mother was not willing to pursue to find. Um, and that's part of the reason why after 12 years, he agreed to settle because that information came to light. And that's part of the reason why he just bombastically told with so much audacity uh, what he did and his exact intent. Uh, his rules were cruel without remorse, but he had am uh, he had immunity at that point, basically. Nobody was going to do anything. So... Anyways, guys, I am really sorry for going back and forth. I apologize for this episode being a bit of a mess. It's an emotional one for me. So I'm going to go ahead and cut you guys loose. I've got things to do. Anyways, my lovelies, I hope that you have a wonderful, fantastic Sunday. And remember, be individual and always be brave. Talk to you soon and see you on the flip side.